Hey everyone, welcome to the very first episode of DevOps Unbound. I'm your host, Alan Schimmel, and uh, joining us for this initial episode of, of DevOps Unbound, I'm uh, proud and happy to introduce you to James Bach and Grigori Melnick. Grigori, James, welcome to DevOps Unbound. Hey everyone. Um, before we before we jump into things, let me uh, give each of you an opportunity to kind of introduce yourselves, your backgrounds, your positions, etc., so that our audience kind of knows a little bit if they don't know already who who you both are. So, Grigori, you've already been a guest on our show, so if you don't mind, I'm going to ask James to go first. Uh, James, introduce yourself. Go ahead. Uh, my name is James Bach. I'm a consulting software tester. Uh, I started as a developer in my teen years after I dropped out of high school. I'm the proudest high school dropout you will ever meet. Uh, I later wrote a book about dropping out of high school <laughs> and, uh, and my particular self-education method. Uh, but my uh, big opportunity came uh, when Apple Computer hired me to be a test manager. And at the time, I was the youngest manager in the R&D uh, division of, uh, of Apple Computer. So that's kind of something I'm proud of. And I fell in love with testing, and I decided to devote my career to testing. Uh, I studied the epistemology of testing, the mathematics of testing, the sociology of testing. I am a bit obsessed with testing. And to say the I wrote least. a book about that called uh, Lessons Learned in, in Software Testing with a couple of, uh, of co-authors. And um, now I, I teach and consult. Excellent. And, and you know what? High school dropout or not, you've done pretty darn good. So <laughs> congratulations. And not saying it's an example for our younger people in the audience to necessarily, necessarily em emulate. Of course, James grew up. In My son did better than me. He never went to high school. So I'm really already, he's already outdone me. Absolutely. Very good. Grigori, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. So I'm uh, I'm Grigory Melnik, and I'm the Chief Product Officer of uh, Tricentis, focusing on uh, building the uh, testing tooling uh, of the future, testing tools for the future. Uh, previously, I've uh, um, I guess I spent almost what two and a half decades uh, uh, focusing on the uh, developer audience and building all kinds of uh, uh, platforms uh, at uh, Microsoft and uh, Splunk. And uh, and MongoDB, and uh, you know, always been kind of uh, uh, customer obsessed in a sense of developer obsessed uh, 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 quite a bit, making sure that uh, whatever we were focusing on would help uh, uh, drive uh, the uh, productivity and alleviate some of the pains that uh, um, uh, that uh, developers and our target audience had. Um, and uh, well, a few of those uh, things that I'm particularly proud of, uh, my team at Microsoft was actually the first one that uh, built the very first uh, auto scaling for what was back known as Windows Azure, now Microsoft Azure, but also focused on uh, common uh, patterns and, uh, and practices and implementing the cross-cutting uh, components that represent cross-cutting concerns that later would make into the uh, uh, .NET uh, framework. So uh, again, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, work uh, um, identifying those patterns, capturing them, externalizing them, testing them out, and then 
helping, uh, uh, you know, drive the, drive the reuse. When it comes to testing, um, I, um, I uh, um, first kind of discovered it in my uh, days in academia when I was doing research and, and teaching at universities. And uh, it was quite interesting because testing was uh, predominantly viewed through the lens of uh, 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 formal method groups. It, it wasn't really viewed as an activity, as an, as an intellectual activity of discovery, as an intellectual activity of exploring or experiencing something. And, uh, and those, were the, those were actually the days when I've uh, uh, encountered the, uh, uh, the, the group of uh, uh, testers from the context uh, context-driven school of uh, testing, including uh, James, and, and we kind of uh, kept in touch ever since. Um, you know, even with me gravitating away from the testing more into the developer world and now doing like the full loop of coming back to uh, uh, testing. And uh, I have to tell you, I felt, uh, you know, when the opportunity came, I felt that uh, uh, the, 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 the world of testing, at least from the perspective of uh, how the discipline itself uh, has advanced would be way further further developed in the last decade than I found it, um, you know, after after kind of uh, leaving it for a while. So I'm now on the mission of uh, kind of reigniting that whole discipline and, and putting uh, uh, putting it more on the pedestal and, and giving it more, uh, you know, view and an empowerment and leveling up all all around. So yeah. Excellent. So thank you both gentlemen. And, and I'm Alan Schimmel. I'm the editor-in-chief CEO for MediaOps, the folks behind DevOps.com, Container Journal, Security Boulevard, uh, TechStrong TV, etc. And And just quickly before we jump into today's agenda, DevOps Unbound, though today's focus is on testing, is not just about testing. It's really about DevOps kind of unbound setting us free, right? Being able to leap tall buildings and, you know, bound into space or freeing ourselves of gravity, whatever you want. It's about speed. It's about acceleration, right? It's about automation in a lot of ways. And each, we're going to be doing these every other week. And each episode will focus on particular aspects of this unbound nature, if you will. Today's is testing. Um, And then once a month, we're also going to have a roundtable, with about six or eight people of Grigori and, and James's stature, and we'll open it up to the public for live audience questions and, and discussion. So I'm really looking forward to that. DevOps Unbound is sponsored by our friends at Tricentis, and we thank them for it. And uh, with that out of the way, let's jump into things. So Grigori, I wanted to start off, obviously you and James take very different paths to your and, and both of you have been very successful in your lives and careers. So it just goes to show there's more than one way to skin the cat, right? But let's let's take a look. Look, I'm probably older than both of you, though not that much, I'm sure. And but you know, let's look at the history historical context of, of where you guys come to come from to be sitting here today and how that, you know, vis a vis is kind of the whole testing industry, the whole testing, you want to call it a profession, the guild, the whatever you want to call it, right? How, how has this evolved over the years? And let's put some context in with, with timeframes. James, when you first went to Apple without saying you're old, what, what, what kind of, you know, what were the timeframes for that? Well, I am old. 
<laughs> so am I. <laughs> but you're older, which is nice. It's nice to be yeah. a young guy in the room again. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can't tell you how well that makes me feel, but go ahead. First, 1987. May 21st, 1987 was the first day that I ever professionally tested something uh, as a tester. Before that, I was doing video game development, and I had done informal testing, and I hated testing because testing just got in the way of me shipping my product. So I didn't like testing until it became my job. And then I realized I'm perfect for testing because I love complaining. And I'm much more interested in finding how things don't work than to figure out how to make them work. That's interesting. You know, my background's in cyber. or Back then we called it InfoSec. And in InfoSec, most of the people who got into, got into InfoSec got into it because they like to break things. Right? They, yeah, same thing. Gregory, how does that time frame wise and everything else how does that match up with your own experience so i like to actually build things <laughs> i'm like okay. you guys who are breaking <laughs> things and occasionally i break things and yeah. uh and actually this also speaks about this uh overall uh, i guess uh, optimism of uh, most developers who think that what they write uh, uh, is is uh, you know perfect and, and always underestimate the amount of uh, buggy code that we put in there so uh, uh but the you know to me uh, if if i think about my uh, my first day when i actually had my job uh as an engineer actually um it was a september i think 5th uh, 1990 so a few years after uh, james and at that time i was actually uh, writing a uh, a c library for a uh, uh, for a PC converting the uh, uh, data from uh, mainframe into the uh, visual uh, format, and uh, had to deal with all kinds of quirks of uh, Fortran and the 80, 80, 80 characters limit and the asterisks for uh, you know uh, for bringing to the new, you know continuation of the line, all kinds of exciting stuff. But back to the again to make sure that I don't go too far on the uh, on the on the tangent. We actually didn't have for a very, very long time. Again, I'm giving you my angle into the into the testing, if you if you if you will. Uh, we actually didn't have a uh, a dedicated um, you know uh, thinking about testing as a you know as a as an activity as a pursuit of uh, of uh, of excellence. It was just something that you kind of were doing, and then at some point later, you've heard and learned that oh wait, look, there is a QA department apparently. Right, and they're the ones that were mostly viewed as gatekeepers or police of some sort, uh, right? And then again, if I, if I think about again, once I got more into the research in academia and and studying uh, testing uh, specifically, because you know I'm probably one of the very few people who has testing in the in the title of my PhD dissertation. But uh, I remember looking back and thinking, well, where did it come from, right? Where did actually software engineering come from, right? And of course, this is where the history of the conference back, you know, after the war in, in Garmisch, where all the stalwarts of uh, uh, at that time computer science and not well, not even computer science, mathematics departments, because that's that's who were doing all the all the programming back then, had the coined the the software engineering discipline, and later on this association of uh, debugging, right, with the infamous story of how the moth was found in, 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 in Harvard the, uh, uh, University scientific uh, lab and the term debugging 
you know, was uh, coined. I almost think like the, in the early days, it was very much associated with this era of debugging, right? Then later on, the era of this ability to uh, demo the fact that uh, the software was uh, matching the spec or the requirements. There was, I think it almost feels like there were at least a decade when people were fixated, and some would argue that it's still continuing. What continued. decade was that? Hmm? What decade are you referring to? The debugging or the uh, uh, the debugging, I'd say. Are you talking probably, about the 70s? Are you talking about the 60s? Are you talking about the 50s? 50s talking I'm talking about? about 50s and 60s. I'm talking about the 50s and 60s as almost the era of debugging, the way I viewed it. Uh, then after that, the era of, uh, uh, you know, more like 70s and 80s, where you were focusing more on matching the, the spec and demoing that uh, the software would actually, or proofing. And this is where this uh, big, big, big uh, uh, focus was on formal methods and trying to even mathematically, mathematically prove that uh, 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 software worked according to the, uh, to the spec. Um, uh, and then after that, I feel like the next era was the era of breaking or, uh, you know, something that probably is still continuing as well. And, and again, all these elements I feel are present in uh, today's uh, uh, profession of testing. But the, the, the later years, the last 20 years was everything that I was kind of uh, uh, studying, watching from the sidelines, getting myself into. I like to call it the era of enlightenment, if I may. I know that's super pompous of me. But this is where I view more testing in the way how James and other members of the context-driven uh, school of uh, testing had uh, uh, formulated it, which is, you know, lighting the way uh, uh, for the decision maker. Not for the developer necessarily, not for, again, it could be for the developer, but somebody who at the end of the day makes the decision whether what is being produced is, uh, um, you know, acceptable enough or if it's, you know, good enough to ship. Is it, uh, you know, what, what risks associated there and informing me as a decision maker about all these different factors and then leaving that decision up to me. So the testers are not the police. They're not the quality gate. They're not assuring anything. It's really up to the uh, stakeholder who is uh, commissioning all this effort and who makes the ultimate decision about, you know, releasing something, putting something into production. Um, well, uh, I'd like to offer some historical notes please. on this. Okay, first, uh, are you aware what the first book was on the subject of software testing? First it's known the, book? little quiz for you, Gregory. Is it the Myers book? Uh, it's before that. It's Program oh, Test no. Methods from 1972 by Bill Hetzel. Now, that book was a report on a conference, a testing conference, which was the Chapel Hill Conference, which, which happened in, in 72. Mm -hmm. uh, that seems to have been a, uh, a, a historical uh, watershed event in, uh, in testing. Mm -hmm. uh, before that, the first chapter on software testing that I've been able to find was written in 1961 by my teacher, Jerry Weinberg, who wrote it when he was 25 years old. It's a brilliant chapter on testing. What's fascinating to me is how differently Weinberg talks about testing in 1961 compared to how they talked about testing in 1972, although there is a reference in the 1972 book back to Weinberg praising Weinberg's attitude about testing. It's fascinating to read that. Because the book in 1961, it's uh, Computer Programming Fundamentals, and the chapter about testing was written by Jerry, he told me. 
uh, although it's uh, it's co-written, the book's co-written with Herbert Leeds and, and Jerry Weinberg. But Jerry wrote the the chapter on testing, and Jerry talks about testing as a matter of imagination, not automation, as a matter of being suspicious and critical, as a fundamentally unalgorithmic process. And he develops this beautiful story in his chapter about a programmer who's sure that he's found the last bug and then finds out that he's <laughs> wrong. And then he adds another, another uh, check for that. And then he's sure now he's found the last bug. And then he sees something else go wrong. And uh, Jerry's conclusion is, look, this is just we're working on complex systems and this is always going to be like this. Now, Jerry was on the first project in 1958 that ever had a dedicated test team. Now, the reason why he knows that is that in 1961, IBM held a conference of all the computer programmers in the entire world, of which there were 400, apparently. And Jerry <laughs> said his team went to that conference. He was at IBM at the time. And uh, he said everyone thought they were crazy because he they had a dedicated group of testers and no one else did. They all were just testing their own stuff. So it seemed like the idea of having a dedicated test team caught on. And then in 1972, the way they talked about testing was all about test cases, automation, formality. Uh, and that kicked off the era, I think, of the factory, the test factory. We can, we can have technology and we can have procedures that make it so you don't rely on human thinking. So this goes against what Jerry Weinberg was preaching, not only back in 61, but all through his career. I became a student of Jerry's in uh, around 1989 and took all his classes in, in mid-90s, and he became a mentor to me. That's why I'm a real acolyte of, of, of Jerry Weinberg, because he always put the human in the center of everything. But Testing, when I joined testing, all the testing textbooks were about how you have to define test cases and, if possible, automate them. And I felt like that was um, a fool's uh, idea. I think, well, that the problem is, is that there's too many things to define. And, and far from being unbound, we become super bound by all of these documents and all of this code. And so if you want to be unbound, we have to find a way to temper that. We have to find a way to interact with our tools so that we're not constrained too much by them. And that, in the 90s, the urge to unbind ourselves from that waterfall world and that heavy documentation world created Agile, but it also created the context-driven school of software testing, which is a humanist approach to software testing. And that was in the mid-90s that we started creating that. And, uh, and, and, and then DevOps and Agile continued to sort of take over the world, except that it seems to me that Agile in a lot of places has lost its humanist foundation. And it's turned into tools, tools, tools. And um, so if we're going to really talk about unbound, DevOps unbound, it seems to me that we have to be specific about what is it we're unbinding. I hope what this means is it's people being unbound, using DevOps as a tool 
rather than... But not just the tool. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to jump in. But not just... You know what, James? We don't want to make the same mistake that Agile made. And you just said one of the problems with the Agile is we went from humanist to tools. Right? Too much of a reliance on tools. Let's not make the same mistake in DevOps. And I think that's something I've advocated for for a while, too, is we can't lose the human in DevOps. The I actually want to hear you say more about that, Alan, if you're willing to say a little more about that. I'm not shy. <laughs> um, I, I'll give you my two cents. I Look, I, I started DevOps.com. I covered this place. I covered this area pretty, pretty heavily, and I have for seven or eight years now. And I think there's been this... And I don't want to say Agile failed, because Agile is far from a failure. But there has been a reliance on tools and maybe overly processed. You know, when we think, when we think about things like IDLE and ITSM versus DevOps, let's say, right? We, we get in, we, we, we tend to point fingers at, at IDLE, excuse me, and ITSM and said, oh, too much process, too heavy. Too many, you know, too much of that, that whole change management thing. But there are good things there. Nothing's all bad and all good. The world's not black and white. It's gray, right? And and so there are things we, we take out of I, of idle and, and things and ITSM that we put into DevOps. But DevOps, to me anyway, and it's just my humble opinion, is fundamentally about people and teams and culture, not... The tools, there's a lot of tools we could use, and there's overlap in tools, and what's the best tool for any given job? We could fight about it till the cows come home. But at its nitty-gritty, DevOps is making sure that devs and ops and tests and security and these people work with a, a higher degree of communication, right, with a higher degree of cooperation, getting jobs done faster, and we do that by adding things like automation, to, to the mix. But automation for automation's sake alone is not enough, right? And, and to do automation, yes, you got to use tools sometimes to make that automation work. I, I get it. But if we, if we lose the fundamental aspect that DevOps is, is at its core about humans, I, I think we, all, we lose what DevOps is. And I don't hold myself out to be as accomplished as either one of you. But I, 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 I do still love you, Alan. That. I love Thank you. I love what you just said. <laughs> I, I think this is, if you can hold on to what the principle and the, the, the feeling behind what you just said, we can do anything with tools and we'll be okay. We'll be okay if we're talking to each other, if we're caring about each other. I, I keep seeing people losing that. And, of course... Uh, any any technology and any methodology, when it is applied sociopathically, will become abuse. Yeah. And so we just those of us who can shall do should do whatever we can to keep it non-abusive and keep us talking. And then I think DevOps can be a wonderful thing. A absolutely. I'm sorry to take us down that. Go ahead, Gregory. No, it's super encouraging to hear what you, what you uh, uh, said, Alan. And again, uh, I am uh, I'm I'm a very big believer into the greatness of uh, of human mind. But it feels to me that in this kind of history of uh, um, of of our industry, the 
the pendulum keeps swinging back and forth, right? Remember the the whole infatuation with the case uh, tools, uh, you know, back in the uh, uh, you know back in the eighties and nineties, and then later on there was this uh, whole big movement of the of the software factories. Like the the term was actually software factories, where the idea was that you can go and abstract away at some high level, uh, and uh, and then the loop. You know the tools will generate you know all the code and everything uh, for you and make it all highly maintainable. All of that, and of course that failed too. But I think it's out of this desire for some reason to uh, um, to uh, come up with uh, uh, with these uh, boosters. So I don't know some kind of the some kind of the um, uh, way of equipping the humans to deal with the inherently complex problems. Where today there's no better mechanism of dealing with them other than human brain is. So this whole vision of, you know, um, computers writing computer code, I mean, that's been promised in the first era of AI. Not today, but I'm talking about the 60s, right? In the 70s, yeah, yeah. where all I mean, those Spielberg people, right? does and then it kind of died out, right? Yeah. Same uh-huh. thing again, you know, doing, uh, having the, the computers entirely come up with the, uh, uh, with the uh, test strategy, the, you know, thinking about uh, 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 testing automatically, entirely automatically, I think is uh, uh, I think it's uh, it's uh, utopical at least you know if you if you think about what the tools are capable of doing uh, today and uh, for a very very long time in the future I think the uh, you know the human will remain to be at the center of uh, uh, of this activity while again all the tooling is great because tooling gives you additional additional uh, uh, powers and additional ways of perhaps. Uh, automating the, the most rudimentary, the most, uh, you know, boring uh, elements of, uh, uh, of the job and, and lets you actually free up time to think about new theories, new hypotheses, new, uh, new uh, models, new approaches. But you got to consider you know, different kinds of tools. Like, have you noticed uh, the difference between, let's say, a tool like a programmer's IDE? When mm-hmm. I use a programmer's IDE, I don't feel oppressed. I feel empowered. I feel like I'm riding a magic carpet and I have laser cannons mounted on it. I feel mm-hmm. wonderful. But when I use most testing tools, I feel oppressed. Like I have just a few possible things I can do. And if I have any... Like you're castrated. That's yeah. outside of what the test tool designer has thought that I might want to do for testing then I'm not allowed to do that. This is what I feel like when I, I encounter something like Cucumber, which is very restricted. In the Gherkin language, it's very restricted. It's, it's stopping me from going on flights of, of imagination. And yet, and yet when I use the tools that programmers have created for programmers, unsurprisingly, programmers have created for programmers tools that make them feel powerful and free. And able to do all kinds of wonderful things. I would like to bring the same sense of freedom to testing that programmers already enjoy. That's part of I what we're it. doing with, with, with uh, the transformation work we're doing with, at Tricentis. Yeah, well, I love that. All fairness, n- not, all of the, not all of the programmers' tools are that uh, liberating. Some of them feel like you are operating in the stride jacket too, but in general, at least there are some examples, there are instances of tooling that are widely accepted, uh, widely adopted today that, that are 
supporting and, and, and kind of accelerating your abilities to do your job without constraining you. That's, that's for sure. And, and you know, the, the piece that uh, James was alluding to, this is actually the new initiative that we are uh, uh, driving inside Transcendus, uh, you know, about imagining this whole uh, uh, new uh, uh, platform of the test tools for the future where we are building something akin to the IDE. We're actually not calling it IDE. We're calling it ITE, Integrated Testing uh, Environment, where actually it's the human being, the human tester who is in the very, very center of the ITE and all these other, uh, you know, snippets and, uh, you know, utilities and services and everything around the human tester, around the human there, uh, meant to support the individual in the way wherever his uh, line of uh, thought, line of exploration, line of uh, test execution may lead to. Okay, so again, we're, we're kind of envisioning this to be as a super uh, configurable kind of uh, uh, morphine tool, almost like, you know, the chameleon uh, style where depending on the context and the environment, the different capabilities of the IT, the integrated testing environment will present themselves and then the human will actually pick whether this is actually something that they want to take advantage or not, as opposed to, again, being forced into a specific kind of mold or one way of uh, uh, doing testing. And I don't think, we don't think actually anybody has uh, attempt, attempted something of this caliber specifically in the space of test tooling before. That's why we're so enthusiastic and so passionate about uh, about this project, aren't we, James? I, yeah, I also don't think that anyone is going to be able to copy us easily because the only way that they could actually compete with us is by hiring someone who loves testing, which test tool companies hate doing because testers are our troublemakers. I still can't really, it's hard for me to fathom that Grigory really knows what he's done by hiring me because I'm a constant <laughs> gadfly. I'm constantly complaining about about the state of test tools in the world and at Tricentis, frankly. Um, and uh, and I want things to be uh, uh, fundamentally uh, better, but that means we have to fundamentally change how we think about what is a tester, which might get us into the role of, of testing a bit. But the... Um, to me, a tester is a puzzle solver, a um, a problem finder. Uh, I'm not a button pusher, and I'm not a verifier. I don't verify things. Tools can verify things. Uh, I'm not looking to prove that something works because I can't prove that anything works. What I can do is collect evidence and then draw inferences from that evidence with a critical mindset. And of course, lots of tools are collecting facts uh, about the products that I'm that I'm testing, and those that can be automated. And so I'm, I'm we're pulling in these facts, and we can say we got this output, and we expected to get this output. So apparently, there's no problem here as far as we can tell so far. But then the tester layers onto that a critical mindset, saying, "But how do we know?" and how could we be fooling ourselves? And uh, so I'm bringing that mentality into the into Tricentis. And um, I mean, I'm really surprised. So far, they've been actually quite welcoming of me. Uh, but for years and years, 
I, I've tried to help other tool companies with this, and basically, you know what reaction I get? They basically say, well, our customers just want to have automation Tools. that just just uh, pushes a bunch of buttons, and we don't really care about test design. We don't really care about empowering testers. So that's not going to help us make any money, James. So uh, we're really not interested in, in, in supporting the skilled testers that you keep talking about. So Transcendus has a different kind of vision that I think is hard to, to, uh, to match. There's also a little bit of you can't make wine before it's time, right? And, and I, I, I think, right, you, you, I think you need the right macro conditions that things like DevOps have, have brought about and, and, and the whole progression. I mean, we, we've, we've gone back here now to the 50s and 60s and all the way to the present time. Certainly, the world we live in today, maybe a, I, I want to think so anyway, we're a little bit more open to the idea of saying, look, yeah, we can automate some stuff. We can have, we don't need a human to just push buttons, right? We have tools that can go push the buttons for us, but but we need humans to do blank. We need humans to do some of this stuff, and so we need to enable and empower them to do that within the context of let's automate what should be automated, let's say. But we still need those humans in there. You know, when I when I was growing up, much like you guys, right? Uh, the only animal in the world that used tools was humans. Isn't that what, that's what I learned in school, right? That's what separated us from animals. One of the things, right, was our ability to use tools. Well, then we found out chimpanzees use tools and other monkeys use tools. And we still were okay with that because they were primates. Now we found birds use tools, right, to crack nuts and stuff like this. So tool use in itself is, does not connotate one's intelligence or, or higher being. We, we need to, so to me, that, that's the ultimate case, right? We don't, it's not about what tools we use. It's about how we use our brains. And I, I think that's apropos to what we see in testing today. Yes, we, we could come up with tools, but it's creating an environment for people to think in and use their brains in and, and apply it that I, I think will ultimately provide us the highest payback, if you will, right? And, and, it's interesting what you just said about, about um, you're implying that the history of how we got to where we are now is important, that we have to have a certain set of a certain historical context, yeah. technological context in order to take the next uh, leap. And I think one, one thing in which that's really true is we have now have decades as an industry, decades and decades of experience trying to eliminate people from engineering <laughs> and we can't do it i remember maybe you do there were these advertisements in bite magazine uh in the 80s about case tools and yeah. now your marketing people can just define your product and you don't need developers anymore because it automatically generates all the code and i remember sitting there at apple computer reviewing case tools advertisements that had been sent to me thinking well could I buy some I'm of these obsolete. tools and actually right. use them to help with the testing? And it turned out, no, you couldn't. It was just all, it was all hype and nothing. Uh, and and uh, so I shrugged. And so a lot, even today, now we have AI. AI is the new case tool. 
and yeah. uh, the AI will do all this stuff for you. Then it turns out the AI is biased and racist and confused. And if you put yeah. kitten ears on a whale, it says that's a kitten. <laughs> yep. And and it's no more than ML, the machine learning anyway. But that, you know, and then yes, we've been we have been, you know, chasing this this white whale for for most of my adult life. And and at the same time, the fa- if it was a nation, the fastest growing nation on earth are developers. There's 40-something million is the estimate growing, what, 20% a year or something like that. So, you know, I think it's time we stop probably chasing that white whale and, and, and move on to empowering people. You know, one way to do that, I suggest a definition of programmer or perhaps developer. And, and the definition I use is a developer is someone who stands at the gateway between the world of the machines and the world of humans. And the developer's purpose is to operate competently in the world of people and then operate competently in the world of machines. And if you don't have that person standing at the gateway, then you don't have a connection between the world of humans and the world of machines. You just have people kind of praying to the god of technology and hoping that good things happen. And so no matter how complicated technology gets, no matter how much AI we have, we still have the need to operate competently in the world of people, and the developers will always live right at that threshold. And testers need to live there too and not get mowed under by automation. And you know what, guys, that we're almost out of time, but this also brings up something that I, I thought we might be able to get to on this show, but we, we're running out of time, and that is that the, this, this caste system, if you will, caste system of you know developers being a, a higher caste than, than the tester who's higher than uh, the, what we call today the SRE, the ops person or what have you, and, and this whole IT stack of humanity I, I think we need to examine that too. When the develop, you know, when we're asking the developer to do the security and the testing, is he any better than the tester? Is there a difference? Are, you know, but we're going to save that one. I think for another show. If you guys would like to come back on, and we can explore that a bit. Come back, but I categorically reject that whole hierarchy, and I also do not like the whole, you know. Uh, uh, notion when uh, people say, "Hey, but you know the tools and everything they would really help with the low skilled tester." That's another notion that kind of you know gets the right. hair on my neck. agenda. It's just so 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 annoying. And and uh, you know whether it's development or testing or any other you know data science modeling, the UX design, it's the discipline. Uh, it's uh, something that requires dedicated effort of studying, perfecting, thinking about you know the the way how people uh, uh, do that work, and uh, and it requires intellect. <laughs> that's that's the most important thing. You you know it, using some very powerful tools don't give you the license to turn off your brain. And again, happy to come back on the show and talk about you know the. Uh, the different career letters and progressions, because again, it's gonna it's gonna take us uh, you know uh, longer. To oh, that's a whole nother show. I, I, I can tell. Yeah, there's there's a lot to and vocal about that. Say about James. that. That the the uh, um, but I just want to note 
that this whole issue has been studied in great depth in another field, in the field of uh, the sociology of science. For instance, in physics, theorists ha are in the higher caste and experimentalists are in the lower caste. So if you're an engineer, you're in the lower caste. And they've studied this. How do these people cooperate? How do they assign uh, prestige to each other? It's, there's, it's a well-known phenomenon uh, in, in many fields of human endeavor. And the same thing in math, right? The theoretical math versus applied math. The theoretical math seems right. to always think that they're the gods, and they're the right. ones that are, you know, creating something that, uh, you know, will take centuries for the world to truly appreciate, and then you guys are in the applied math are solving the problems of today. Exactly, guys. We're out of time, but I'm going to hold this. I'm going to hold you both to it. We're going to come back on not not in the next show because I think we have something scheduled. But in one of the ones coming up, we'll have you both back on, or maybe this will serve as part of our first roundtable in about a month from now when we when we'll open it up to the audience as well. But for now, Grigori James, thank you. Yes, thanks, James, Alan. Th Thank you. Gentlemen, it was a pleasure. This is Alan Schimmel. You just watched the very first DevOps Unbound. We'll be back in two weeks with a fresh panel, fresh topics. Stay tuned. Thanks again to Tricentis for sponsoring. And thank you for watching. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.